Hi, my name is Jessie from the Vegan Society of Aotearoa, New Zealand, and we can be found at www.vegansociety.co.nz, and you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, Let's well. get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I'd like to say hello to one of my friends, Gordon who has listened to many of my episodes and sometimes leaves comments on my blog. I'd love to hear from you by email, Gordon. Also, just as I was planning this episode, a new email showed up from Randy from Ohio in the United States of America. It's great to think that people all around the world listen to what I say on my cheap mic, sitting in my bedroom. I've seen downloads from Ireland, Australia, Germany, New Zealand, Japan and Canada, although most of my listeners are in America. I love hearing from anyone who listens to me ramble on. My email is jaywontdart at gmail.com if you'd like to email me. Following on from Australia Day and its lamb meat promotion, I've named this episode after a recent New Zealand slogan for bacon. The brand is called Kiwi, and the ads ask us to make videos that represent New Zealand culture, No doubt the meat company is trying to link bacon with being a New Zealand activity, like the Australia Day lamb ads do for Australianism. I'd like to mention a recent story about a farmer who would like to, in his words, commercialise a New Zealand endangered species, the weka. Weka are flightless birds that are endemic to New Zealand. They look somewhat like a thin kiwi. Weka are known for being very curious, they like to grab any shiny items they can find, and they're quite rare, at least in the South Island, where I live. As usual for many of our native flightless birds, they're killed by predators such as cats. I'd think most New Zealanders would have vaguely heard of Weka, but they're not one of our most well-known native animals, such as Kia, Kokako, or Kiwi. I'd like to have added the Māori word for New Zealand wood pigeon, but I always screw it up. Kiriru or Kiriru. It's currently illegal to kill weka on the mainlands of New Zealand. And now, a farmer would like to, well, farm weka for their meat, to save them, of course. Imagine fine dining overseas and discovering our endangered species like weka, kiriru, or dare I say, even our kiwi on the menu. Crazy? Well, maybe not. It's part of a highly controversial plan put forward by a Canterbury conservationist and businessman who's already breeding weka on his own farm. Roger Beattie's premise is simple. No farmed species has ever faced extinction. And he's advocating farming our endangered species and selling them for a huge premium in posh restaurants. Playing crazy or crazy enough to work. You'll have a chance to make your own view known in our poll shortly, but first, Daniel Fytawa's report. They're our most endangered birds. We can get the top restaurants in the world. Kiwi, Kereru and Weka. 
absolute high end of the gourmet market. Native birds Roger Beatty believes can only be saved if they're served in swanky international restaurants. The Canterbury farmer says our conservation efforts are failing and need help. The Department of Conservation disagree, but Roger's proving his point wicker, wicker, wicker. by breeding wickers in captivity. At one stage we had six pairs breeding simultaneously. Wicker, wicker, wicker. We've got wonderfully unique birds here. And one of the ways of saving some of them is to farm them. No farmed species throughout the history of mankind has ever died out. Do we want to have kakapo on the menu? I don't think so. Do we want to have kiwi on the menu? I don't think so. Um, weka? I don't know. It, initially you say no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be going there, but maybe we're changing as a nation, maybe it's time to have the discussion. Effectively, he's been farming them, but the irony, on the mainland at least, He's not allowed to eat them. Wicker, wicker, whoop! Wicker, wicker, whoop! A bit like chicken, but not bland. Um, a bit like mutton. It's tasty, it's moorish. Good eh? Um, you've got to eat them when they're fat. That is really delicious, man. And if you want to taste them, go to the Chathams. Roger lived and worked on the Chathams for 15 years and has a record there in conservation. He helped set up the Black Robin recovery program. He also exports power meat and power pearls overseas worth $2 million. As a conservationist and an entrepreneur, he reckons there's a significant business opportunity going begging. If you multiply the numbers that we know we can run per hectare, multiplied by what I think, you know, as a marketer and as a brander we can get for the birds, that we can gross $3,000 per hectare. We're very keen to have more commercial people come and talk to us about how they can work with us for the good of conservation and for the good of their businesses. Some may say what you're doing is commercialising conservation. What's wrong with that? I mean, all the food you currently eat is commercialised food, unless you run your own garden. He wants equal footing with the Department of Conservation to save the wicker, taking pot shots at the organisation which allows him to bring wickers back but not earn a living off them. I want the legislation to support conservation, not just to set up the Department of Conservation. That's a terrible piece of legislation, the way they've got it written now. It needs to be so that private people or companies or trusts or societies or whatever have an equal footing with DOC when it comes to saving our endangered species. It's our mandate to protect native species, um, and whether that extends to farming them at some stage, time will tell. To get the numbers up is to have a farming mentality rather than a, a scarcity mentality, which is what DOC have got. And they want to mate. Not allowed to farm his endangered species, yet Roger's looking to a Kiwi farm staple in the meantime. Blackberry! Come on! But then Roger, they're wild, and again he's targeting the high end of the gourmet market, eyeing up island pit wild sheep. Now this next bit is nuts. I've heard similar claims before from slaughterhouse workers who claim PETA members turn up wanting to kill animals. I find it all very unlikely, but let's listen to this next bit. We had a valley party, and we put a pit on wild sheep on a new spit roast that a neighbour had just made. It was so good, we had a vegetarian have some meat for the first time in 34 years. It was organic, it was put on wild sheep, it's the, they've been sympathetically farmed and the whole ball of wax. And she just started drooling at the mouth and, and, and held her hand out. 
if I can get vegetarians to eat piraw and wild sheep, we can get the top restaurants in the world having it on the menu. I've also noticed more people who eat animal products explain how meat can be organic and free-range and all kinds of other crazy happy meat labels. I really think those terms do more to make people feel better about hurting animals than they do for the actual animals who suffer. Hell, the SPCA members here sometimes wear clothing that says SPCA guaranteed cruelty free. But the SPCA has its own brand for meat that I've seen. Freedom Farms or SPCA approved. It seems that cruel acts only matter when they are done to cats and dogs. Who cares about the millions of pigs each year when there's shocking cruelty performed on a cat or two each week on the news? You ever been told you're a pushy wee fella and you just need to give up? <laughs> Seriously, Roger? Do you think you Never. just Never. walk away, let this go? No, the reason is, put the farming stuff aside. If we don't have a radical change in the way Doc operates, we're going to see more birds disappear. And once they're gone, they're gone forever. Well, where do you stand on the issue? We'll debate it further in a second, but first, we've opened our poll. Should we farm some of our endangered species? Text yes or no to 8875. Text costs 75 cents. You can vote throughout the programme and we'll bring the results at the end of the show. The farmer is about to be interviewed and is quite cranky about the New Zealand Department of Conservation, calling them communists and wanting a monopoly and all kinds of other crazy rambling. Honestly, I didn't know rural New Zealanders could be so worked up about communists. Although I guess we do have a tendency to label things politically correct and whine on about all the damn bureaucrats and about all the dull bludgers, people who are on welfare, even though New Zealand only has 6% unemployment rate, you'd think that every single non-farmer were a communist who lived off the farmer's taxes, the way some of them talk. Joining me now, Roger Beatty at his Weka farm in Taitapu, south of Christchurch, and from the Department of Conservation, Director General Al Morrison in Wellington. Al Morrison, should Weka Weka Woo be the new catch cry of the uh, Department of Conservation? <laughs> I don't think so, Mark. Um, if I was Mr Beatty, I'd be a bit annoyed at the moment too um, because he's come along with an idea and at the moment we're saying no, people, that happens all the time. I mean, people go to their bankers with lots of good ideas uh, and uh, every now and again they're picked up but most of the time they come away disappointed that they don't get the money. Um, the point is that uh, we can't say yes even if we want to because our legislation precludes it but that's, I'm not hiding behind that, uh, it's not that we want to say yes. Our job is to protect threatened species and I'm not sure uh, really that New Zealanders want us to do that so that you can have a Weka burger or a kiwi roast or a kiru pie or a kakako uh, stew or anything else with your tongarero fries. Uh, I think they want to save these species for their value uh, now and into the future. And uh, really, is that, the, is that the image that we want to project, project for New Zealand, that that's why we're saving things so we can stick them in the pot? I'm not sure that we do. Roger Beatty, I mean, it sounds as though Al Morrison's saying, uh, you know, your plans is just not cooking. Well, it's more of the same, isn't it? Um, you know, farming's only part of it. We need to change the whole legislation, the whole mindset of DOC away from that scarcity value to an abundance mentality. Um, you know, DOC has a vested interest in endangered species. They don't want there to be no endangered species, otherwise the endangered species unit is disbanded. 
That's what you're saying, they're protecting their own patch. Of course they are. Al Morrison, I mean, is, is this what it's about? I mean, is it a turf war? Because if, if the whole point is saving endangered species, it's the rarity. If someone, as, as, as Roger's saying, if you farm them, the rarity's not a problem anymore. No, Mark, that's nonsense. Look, if we were in the luxurious position uh, of our species not being threatened, and that's what we're talking about, threatened species, uh, then we'd be happy to talk about other things, but that's a long way away. I mean, why should all Doc the have... Weka, all the weka in New Zealand are on the threatened species. They're on the, uh, the bee list. You know, the numbers are going down. The North Island weka is only in one region now. You know, it's a disaster. You see, old Morrison, what, what Roger Beattie is also arguing is that your ways haven't worked. Then aren't you being closed-minded not to look at something else? Uh, no, well, I disagree with that. Our ways have worked. Wherever we work and wherever we manage intensively, we're actually very successful. So the fundamental premise that we're not working and everything needs to be changed and it needs to be radically different uh, is wrong. Uh, we, we look at commercial opportunities all the time. We work with over 4,500 commercial operators in New Zealand. We know about commercial. It doesn't mean that every commercial idea is a winner, and this one's just not floating at the moment, and even if it was, the legislation precludes it. Why can you eat them in the Chathams and not here? Because they're a pest in the Chathams and because there's a cultural issue there. But you cannot trade them commercially. That's the issue here. We don't want to get into this idea that you should be able to commercially trade uh, species. It doesn't work anywhere in the world. It's not true that, that the commercialisation of species uh, helps their conservation. If it was, the international law would be quite different. This is not a unique position in New Zealand. Roger? No, look, <clears throat> it's the whole CITES thing. You know, I know a professor in the North Island who's just been to China helping the Chinese uh, commercialise their tigers so that they can save them because the whole CITES dock arrangement of looking after them and hoping somehow that there's going to be enough bureaucrats around that care enough and there's going to be enough taxpayers' dollars to look after them is a nonsense. But look, you know, someone's property is someone's care. No one's properties, no one's care. You see, Al Morrison, I don't know whether anyone is arguing that, 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 that people at DOC don't care about the survival of these species. But is it just a mindset? I mean, you, I mean, if the numbers, if someone came up with a plan and said, yes, we can farm them and build up the numbers, and it had public support, would that influence you? Uh, well, of course, public support influences us, but uh, that's, that's a political decision. I mean, what Roger's saying is that if somebody owned them, then they'd care for them. The fact is that we do own them. All New Zealanders own them. That's the whole point. And the question is, what do New Zealanders want? Do they want to be able to see their weka? Do they want a tourism industry that supports 10% of the economy? Or do they just want to produce them for weka burgers? Why can't you have both? The, 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 well, the trouble we here is we've got Doc that didn't get restructured in the 84-87 period and they're still in sort of communist mode. They are <laughs> monopolistic from the top and they won't let anybody compete with them. We don't know how badly DOC are doing. Until we get a bit of competition, we'll actually then find out because DOC might be doing ten times worse than even I think. All right, well, listen, we're going to have to... We're now getting to the stage where we're going to have to analyse your, the political motivations of Doc. But, look, um, we've got a poll tonight. We're going to see what the public think. Al Morrison, thank you for joining us. Roger Beattie as well. And as I said... Thank you, Mark.
What we want to know now is where do you stand on the issue? Should we farm some of our endangered species? Now, text yes or no to 8875. Text cost 75 cents. I've got a good quote from Federated Farmers. They're a farming group that lobbies the government. They come out in support of farmers on basically every issue that's contentious, such as cow cubicles or keeping pigs in cell crates. Federated Farmers said it was sure that farming the birds would lead to more of them. Here's a true Kiwi entrepreneur who ought to have every policy encouragement to see if a new market can be created, said Federated Farmers game spokesman Donald Aubrey. He said New Zealand fauna offered unique potential to be farmed. Mr Aubrey said Federated Farmers saw Mr Beatty as being in the same mould as Sir Peter Jackson and Weta Workshop's Richard Taylor. Roger Beatty is told can't, but he replies can, and without any subsidies too. Let's face it, if the weka was instead a turkey, it would make us look like one for not trying, Mr Aubrey concluded. All I know is how the guy laughs. You ever been told you're a pushy wee fella and you just need to give up? <laughs> Seriously, Roger. <laughs> the close-up poll apparently gave about 85% support for farming weka, I didn't see the poll myself, but 85% of those who voted were for killing our little native friends that look so similar to Kiwi. Would those same people be for Kiwi burgers too? Can you imagine Australians eating kangaroos? Uh, well, some of them actually do that. Okay, bad example. Can you imagine Americans eating bald eagles, using American flags as a napkin, like Homer Simpson? I would have thought that most New Zealanders would have been very much against eating our native animals. But what do I know? On stuff.co.nz, another poll was 64% against farming wicker, so it probably depends on the audience asked to vote. This reminded me of Ted Turner, the eccentric billionaire media mogul, probably most well known for founding CNN, but also for giving a billion dollars to the UN. He also is the largest landowner in America, and he created the Captain Planet cartoon series I grew up with. Oh. Wind, water, hot, go, planet! By your powers combined, I am Captain Planet! Captain Planet, he's our hero, gonna take pollution down to zero. He's our powers, magnified, and he's fighting on the Turner owns a chain of steakhouses that serve bison meat from his own bison that he claims to have helped save from extinction. I'm uh, a big fan of endangered species. In fact, I have a, a, an endangered species fund, which is budgeted close to a million dollars a year, uh, that works on endangered species on our properties and reintroduce and protect um, and expand. I have 250,000 prairie dogs, 45,000 bison. I started with three. 
The bison was my keystone species because when I was a kid, it was on the nickels. There was bison on the nickels, and I studied uh, the environment, and I studied history a lot, and I found that in the 1800s, there were 30 million, pa 30 million bison out on the Great Plains, and we killed them down to a couple hundred, almost to the extinction. And then uh, some people with foresight protected and brought them back, and when I got interested in them, been a big way to, to do something. There were 70,000 bison in North America. Now they're 500,000, of which I have 45. And uh, so we've, we've increased them almost 10 times because of my efforts. And uh, I feel good about that. And there's only, there were 3 billion prairie dogs. And we've massacred them down to uh, a couple million. And I have 250,000 of the prairie dogs. Uh, and I'm that we only had remnant numbers, but we've been reintroducing them and, uh, and, and not killing them like most ranchers do. They don't like the fact that they eat grass and dig holes. What, where are they going to live, for God's sakes? They got, and they, cows don't fall in the holes. That's a bunch of beans, maybe one cow every 10 years. <laughs> but they kill them because they eat grass. And they should be on the endangered species list, but they're not. That's something that one of your lousy magazines could do a story on. Surely not. How many, how many stories have you done here as journalists about the plight of the prairie dog? Not one person. Well, not this story. year. Well, I, I said in your whole life. Still no hands go. Okay, I, I'll start with a question that might lead to a story. Who counts the 250,000 prairie dogs? My endangered species people. How many of those are there? About 20. Could you describe the taste of bison? The taste? Yeah. All you have to do, my friend, is go downstairs <laughs> to Tez Montana Grill. I've been many How times. How many of you have eaten there? I'm having lunch there today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? Huh? How many people thought it was good? For people who haven't actually ordered off the bison side of the menu, how would you describe the taste? Versus, say, a regular old cow I, hamburger. To tell you the honest truth, I can't tell the t difference in taste between bison and good beef. The hmm. taste. But I know that the fat and cholesterol in the bison is half as much. So uh, it's much better for you. Hmm. And it's better for my bison. Not the ones that are being eaten. But yeah, for right, for the other ones. Right. Some, what we do is when they get to be two years old, we draw straws. And the ones that, the ones that draw the short straw go to the meat packer. And the ones that draw the long straw go out and mate and live a happy long life. It's, uh, it's sad, I, 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 but you just have to do it. It's just, if you're a rancher, you have to deal with a population problem, and you cannot let the population of the animals it, exceed the carrying capacity of the land. And you have to have some cushion there because you want there to be grass for the wildlife too. There's one more story I'd like to lump in, a New Zealand snail farm. To many of us, they are the ultimate pest, the creature that keeps our veggie gardens from reaching their full, glorious potential. But when Raywin Acton was looking for a business to run on her Hawke's Bay lifestyle block, snails were the perfect answer. Just scouring the net for ideas and uh, pop snails. So it wasn't like you were a snail lover already? No, I had never eaten a snail until we'd started growing them. Starting a snail farm from scratch was a steep learning curve. With no other producers in New Zealand, they sought advice from snail growers in Australia and online guides. But a lack of knowledge wasn't the only battle they faced. We're just challenged constantly with the heat. Um, and then there's just the um, 
the New Zealand public's really not, we're not, um, haven't been brought up with snails, you know, so just getting people's idea around, you know, to, that they're fine to eat. They've been eaten for hundreds of years overseas, you know, but it's just not in our culture. The snails that are grown here are the common brown garden snail, just like a snail we'd find in our garden at home. The only difference is the way they're raised. They're fed on a diet of cauliflower, broccoli and silver beet and are purged for a week on a diet of organic bran before they're prepared for sale. These snails are a different variety to the ones widely farmed in Europe. They're also much more expensive. The kiwi snails sell for $18 a dozen, six times the cost of the imported ones, largely due to the labour costs associated with the business. Well, every snail that is sent to a restaurant has been handled quite a few times from selecting it um, out of the beds for size, um, and then they're, um, they're purged for a week, and then they're all um, processed and then deshelled by hand. So every snail, once it comes out of the shell, is um, inspected for quality and then rinsed and prepared, ready to go out to those chefs. So yeah, every snail is handled. It's very, very labour intensive. And that's where most of our costs are. But the price hasn't deterred everyone. Napier chef Jeremy Rumaker was one of the first in New Zealand to put silver trail snails on his menu. He spent three years experimenting with the delicacy and now serves them disguised in a ball of chicken mousse in an attempt to encourage his customers to give them a go. New Zealand diners don't understand snails. Um, I, I think uh, with, with, with their chicken mousse it, um, it, it changes the, the whole um, dynamics of, of, this, of the snail. And, and, it, and it is there to sort of hide the presentation of it because a lot of people do get put off from it. <laughs> Despite the public's resistance, more and more chefs are wanting to use the snail's delicate earthy flavour in their dishes. We're getting contacted on a, a regular basis with new restaurants to come on board, so um, we're not sort of going out there and trying to get as many as we can. We'd rather have a small amount of restaurants and know that we can actually supply them with good quality snails. The snail business is a highly seasonal one, running from when mating begins in October through until March. And that could be the very key to its success. As one of the few snail farmers in the southern hemisphere, Silver Trail Snails hopes to provide some of the world's biggest snail markets with fresh New Zealand snails in Europe's off-season. I thought the snail farm was especially odd, since the snails are really no different to what you would find in your own garden. I've always found it odd when farmers are so proud of their, quote, quality, as if the farmers do something special when they allow animals to grow on their land, as if the meat grow from their own bodies. How can you really make it top quality snail? It's not like you do anything to it that's unique to your company. The snails are no different, and even if they were magically genetically modified to be somehow better, a competitor could always steal a few from you. I guess you can never really tell what you're eating. All meat looks fairly similar. It's not like some animals of neon green muscle. I was reminded of this while listening to the audiobook version of The Power of One, an Australian book about South Africa I read while in primary school. At 5.30 I heard his bellow. PK, you come! Rasputin had placed two bowls on the table and beside them were two large spoons. Arranged in a jam tin in the centre of the table were wild flowers he had gathered when he was out rabbit hunting, and beside the flowers rested a round loaf of fresh bread. The flowers were a nice homely touch, 
and the stew in a large pot on his single electric burner smelt wonderful. Rasputin poured it straight from the pot into the bowls. The delicious broth came steaming up at me. He dipped into the pot with a fork, stabbing chunks of pink rabbit meat and placing them in my bowl. Finally he produced a bottle of lemonade for me, and filling his tin mug with brandy, we tucked in, tearing huge hunks of bread from the loaf and slurping hungrily at the delicious stew. Neither of us said a word until it was all eaten and we'd had a second helping. Russian stew, very delicious, Rasputin, I said finally, rubbing my tummy to emphasize my satisfaction. Rasputin looked pleased, even a little embarrassed at the compliment. He rose from the table and, walking over to the wardrobe, withdrew from it the ancient twelve-bore shotgun. Pretending to aim at an imaginary rabbit in the distance, he squinted down the barrel. Ho, ho, Rabbit go meow, meow. Me go boom, boom. Rabbit kaput. He laughed uproariously and put the shotgun back into his cupboard. I had never eaten a cat before, but I knew there was no way I would be able to refuse Rasputin next time he paid me his supreme compliment and went rabbit hunting again. I quietly prayed that I wouldn't do anything in the future that would please him too much. I wondered silently which of the town families was wondering what had happened to their cat. I like the crazy laugh Rasputin uses. Ho, ho, Rabbit go meow, meow. Me go boom, boom. Rabbit kaput. I have offered to show some autopsy videos that I have on my iPhone to friends, and most of them refuse to look. I think it's important to be able to understand we are all made of meat. But even my father, who worked for a decade at an abattoir, really doesn't want to see the videos. To him, it's just plain different. He won't see any similarities between our bodies and those of the countless sheep he cut up and eats to this day. I kept pushing the point and got told they are just animals, it's not emotional when they die. I've got a number of a few second clips I'd like to use often on the show. I just need a way of fitting them in to what I talk about in each episode. Let's give it a try. I can never understand why so many people get upset if you disagree with them about eating animals. What? You said um, what? That's divisive. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them accuse you of being a radical animal rights terrorist, that you've got to be insane, absolutely out of your mind. Warden Hood says Yusuf is on range 13 for just one reason. He has a Charlie Manson look. Charlie Manson look. But at the end of the day, with this story about eating weka, we're talking about eating native and endangered New Zealand wildlife. Hello? Hello? That's what we are debating here? It just seems so crazy for us to be farming ordinary garden snails to be killed and eaten after being purged. Isn't that what anorexic people do? And in some ways, even crazier for us to even consider growing native and endangered New Zealand animals, for them to be killed and exported overseas. Native animals belong on coins, on flags, in the wild. Hell, all animals belong in the wild. Certainly not in your refrigerator, to be eaten and to be flushed down the toilet in a few short hours later. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at coexistingwithnonhumananimals.blogspot.com If you'd like to contact me, even just to say you listened, like Gordon and Randy, send an email to jwontart at gmail.com or on Twitter, 
twitter.com slash jwontdart. I'd appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you. It's certainly better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.